Do you have your Bible? Say yeah. yeah. Nine of us. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, would you open it up to the book of Philippians chapter 4? We've been in a 16-week series walking through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, line by line, precept upon precept, that the word of the Lord may be established in the hearts of men. We preach expositorily. That means the full text in context without pretext. We don't proof text and we don't pull text to make the text meet our mission. We submit our mission to the text. Amen. And so we walk through this all the way through. Sometimes the lessons are hard. Last week, <laughs> I was mean as a hornet. I'm sorry. Uh, but the word is true. And we pick up, today is our 13th of 16 messages. We have just four left before we close this series. And we're in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul is now turning to close towards some final thoughts in this letter that he writes to the church, the first church planted in Macedonia, a church whom he adores. And he writes from prison, most believe in Rome, and he writes in chains. The title of our series is Joy in Pain because though Paul writes from prison, this letter is one of the most joy-filled letters there is. In fact, we'll see that he talks about joy again today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it reads like this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The title of our message today is The Crown of Community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you ready to receive with no agenda other than to hear from your throne. Father, we know that your word is eternal. It is pure. It is holy. And it is true. And so, Father, may these words wash us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, the apostle here, as he gets ready to close this letter, once again reminds this church who they are to him. This week, I got to spend a few days with other lead pastors from our network. Beacon, though a baby church in the heart of Denver, is a part of a larger network of churches throughout the country. And I got to spend a few days with not only my pastor, but some other men who are pastors. And and we got to spend time together in prayer. The week before, I, I mentioned I went to a conference, of uh, a roundtable of lead pastors from all across the country, led by an organization that really helps pastors think about church growth. And it was all strategy, and it was like, these are the nine steps you do to get this many people. And I remember, I think I shared last week, leaving that time feeling um, pretty empty, actually feeling like I was full of strategy, but no spirit. And this week, I got to spend time with my pastor. And for three days, we were in um, San Diego, my favorite city, so that probably helped. 
And in our conference, the reason we're a part of this network is there were no strategy talks. We just spent the morning praying for each other and then the afternoon on the beach. And I don't know about y'all, but that's vacation. We didn't talk about the things that Beacon could do to be something else. All we did was pray for each other. And, you know, we're a, we're a baby church. We're only two and a half years old. And I got to sit alongside some other folks who are younger, older in the timeline of their congregation. I got to sit alongside other pastors who are larger and smaller in their congregation. And, and none of us did what we men tend to do, which is measure ourselves against each other. We just sort of leaned against each other. And it was, it was vital for me to be reminded for whom I do this and with whom I do this. And, and as I was studying, I, I had written this message a couple months ago, but as I, I came back, I was on the plane and I was going back through my notes and I read this and I, I just, the words of the apostle in verse one from chapter four just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's that I, I don't, he doesn't, we shouldn't care about the measurement of our fellowship so much as we should care about the men and women in our fellowship. I think if you're a part of any organization that, that's, that's predicated upon growth or momentum, it's easy to get distracted by the times or seasons when growth seems limited or momentum seems stalled. Put it in another way, it's easy to see empty seats. But it's so much better to look at the seats that are filled. And Paul writes to this church, and he can't see who's in the seats at all because he's in prison. And he writes to this church and he says, my beloved, all oh, my brothers and sisters, I love you. And it just had me thinking, you know, this pastor, like all pastors, like all believers, should think about this as more than just a place we attend on Sunday. And altogether, more like a place we belong every moment of the day. First point I want to make to you today is that Paul is writing not to a church, but he's writing to a brotherhood of believers. He's writing to a family, intimate and connected, united by one thing, their faith. That's why it's important that we hold true to our faith. You've seen it before. Sometimes organizations will say, you can belong before you believe. Have you ever seen that before? You, you can't. You belong because you believe. And everything else can be a mess. Amen? That's the way we aim to build this fellowship, which is, do you want to know Jesus? Yes. Do you know Jesus? Yes. Great. You belong. Yeah, but I'm kind of a walking disaster. Great. So are we. Even in our own ways. I mean, some of us are much better at buttoning up or wrapping up our disaster, right? What unites us is, is that the king is on the throne and that we're walking towards him together. 
And Paul writes to this brotherhood of believers in just verse 1 with five distinct ways in which he feels towards the church that you would miss if you jumped through the verse very quickly. And I want to make sure that we hit it. The reason we call this conversation the crown of community today is because I want us to see just how joyful Paul feels about this church so that you can be invited to feel the same kind of joy, affection, glory, fulfillment, and peace about the brotherhood of believers that surrounds you. He says, brothers or brothers and sisters, I love you. I long for you. You're my joy and my crown. Stand firm. Oh, would that we could have been there in the moment when Epaphras probably read this to the church, the words directly from the apostle to him. What must it have been like to read from the pastor of pastors for him to say, man, you guys are like my favorite. Now, as parents, you know you're not supposed to have favorites. Amen? You also know you have a favorite. Amen? Amen? If you're here with your parents, just look right at me. Don't worry, you're the favorite, guaranteed. <laughs> it is true, as humans, we, we tend to hold a certain affection for certain people in our life. This week I got to meet with a family who's getting ready to send home the matriarch of their family. She passed last month, and, and they're planning her service. It's my great honor to be able to conduct the service for them. And as we talked through her life and her legacy. It reminded me of our big idea today. If you leave with nothing else, I would push you to leave with this. If you're going to measure your life, measure it by the people that you love and that love you. We were talking with this family about grandma. They call her G. We talked about her legacy. And like many people, she didn't come from money and she didn't leave with money, but I was reminded of the fact that your greatest legacy will never be tied to what you leave so much as it will be tied to who you leave, how you've built them up, what you've deposited into them. And I have a sense that as Paul begins to close this letter, see, he doesn't know it and they don't know it, but this will be the last time they hear directly from him. I have a sense that he's trying to deposit his final legacy. And what must it have been like for them to hear, you're my favorite. You bring me joy. Not only do I love you, but I like, I long for you. When you're gone, I miss you. I can't stop praying for you. I'm worried sometimes, even though I'm not supposed to worry, but you are always on my heart. And then he says this phrase, Daniel, will you hand me the first crown? Are you here? There we are. I can't see you. <laughs> he says this phrase. He says, um, you are my joy. And my crown. For Paul, being a part of a community of believers that he helped to start is what he considers to be his crowning accomplishment. 
this from the apostle who was known as the Pharisee of Pharisees, the teacher of teachers, the single most accomplished rabbi that this time had known. He had a list of accomplishments a mile long. We talked about it about four weeks ago. And he says, but when it's all said and done, I count that for nothing. You know what I do count? Us. This is the thing I'm most proud of. And a crown is an important thing for us to consider. Paul is not talking lightly about crowning, for Paul clearly knows who belongs wearing the crown in his life, and he would rarely, if ever, place himself on a throne. But when he says there will come a day when the elders will stand before the king and the Bible tells us that they will cast their crowns before him, he says, you know what that crown will be? You know my most amazing accomplishment that I would be honored to throw at the feet of my God and worship and surrender. You know who it is? The thing I'm most proud of, it's us. When I think about you, I just think I can't wait till I can stand with Jesus and say, I made us. I walked with us. I built a sense of community and unity and submission to you. And I hope that you don't see this teaching as just one pastor talking about his church. Although I'll tell you, it's exactly how I feel about us too. Now I get all emotional today, forgive me. Right before we end third song, I come up right there. Um, and I pray. Anything else that's in me that needs to go away, God, get rid of it. Sometimes I turn my microphone on and sing. You don't know that part, that's all right. They're like, dang, uh, somebody's off key. <laughs> and usually I just sort of wait for whoever's leading worship to sort of give me the nod that they're ready for me. And today I was just standing there listening to you worship in this basement. And I was able for a moment to just cast aside all of the things that worry me. And I just can't believe that we get to be a church. I don't know if you see it like I see it, but it's so doggone cool. That there is this church in this city that hates our God in a comedy club that makes fun of our God rushing together to be together. There are students here from CCU. There are people who have lived on the streets, people who have been addicts. There are mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, people from all walks of life. We have rich and we have poor and none of that matters because we believe the same thing. And I'm standing over there this morning, and I'm just like, man, this is it, brother. Like, what? <laughs> People are like, how big is your church? I'm like, it's the freaking biggest church you've ever seen, man. Oh, I love this place. I hope that when we talk about these things today that you won't see this church as Paul's crown or CB's crown, but, but his crown. On your head. You see, Jesus is the crown of the church. Amen? He is the head of all things and we his body. And everything that we do is meant to glorify him. But the way that God gets great glory is through us. And so we take the first crown and we put it where it belongs. Right there for King Jesus. Amen? But here's the other thing. 
There are many of you in this church who are actively engaged in building the us that is here. And there are these markers by which we might identify people in this church whom God would crown and say, in that church, that person is the way I want to get my glory through that attribute. Paul says, I love you. And right now, there's somebody in this church who is known by you and by me by the way in which we are loved by them. This morning, I asked our volunteers to consider who, who might be one of those people. Daniel, would you bring me the next crown for for the person in this church who loves us well? And if you're on our team today and I asked you, who, who might that be? LQ. LQ. Would you come here, LQ? LQ. In this church, you love us so well that we don't mind giving you a crown to say, may God's glory flow through you each and every day. You better put it on, girl. Yes. Yes. Do it like this. She's your queen to be. You may be seated. Paul says, there are some of you who see it like I see it, who do it like I do it, who love like I love. He says, those are people in this church worthy to be crowned because they treat it like it's their own. He says, I love you. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, and I, I long for you. There's a difference here between those of us who express love and those of us who long for other people, who care for other people. We might define this as the people in this church who are continually checking on you. Daniel, would you bring me the crown for the person who longs for us? And I wonder who might nominate somebody for that. Michelle. Michelle Anderson. Oh. You do check on us, huh? That's fun. Today, I might give you this crown as an expression of the glory of the Lord that radiates off of your life in the way that you check on us, care for us, and watch over us. I'll see you. <laughs> Amen. You may be seated. In a minute, I'm going to ask all y'all to wear your crowns. You don't have to wear it right now. Paul says, I love you. I long for you. And then he shifts to talk about who they are to him, not just the way that he feels, but the way that he identifies themselves. He says, you are my joy. And if you don't know about Beacon, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And in fact, as a church, we've decided that the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians, that we want to be known for most is joy. And I love that Paul writes this. Daniel, would you bring me the crown for joy? Oh, it's all out. Deontay. Thank you, Daniel. All right, Deontay, come over here. Today, Deontay, I want to give you this crown to recognize the joy that you bring us just by being amongst us. 
I love you. Yeah, put it on. I don't know where he goes after service. Most people, are, I don't even, he just shows up. Paul says, you are my joy and you are my crown. And the important thing to know about here is when Paul uses this term crown, though he's recognizing that Jesus is on the throne and rightly deserves to wear the crown, Paul is talking about his greatest accomplishment, as I mentioned. And one of the things that I think is important is that while you must be mindful as a believer not to let ambition drive you, it is always good to have godly ambition. The difference is, whose will is leading the way. Because many of us, we got some goals and hopes and dreams, and we're really trying to invite Jesus to give us the money to make it happen, right? But the way it's supposed to work is, Jesus, what are your hopes and dreams for me? And I'll do whatever it takes to chase after that. Daniel, would you bring me the crown for the accomplishment, crowning, or missional person? Sierra. Come on. Today, we give you this crown to recognize the way in which you continue to move the mission of the Lord forward each and every day. Thank you. It's beautiful. He says, I love you, I long for you, you're my joy, you're my crown, and then he gives them a command. And he only gives them this command after he's told them about his great affection for them. And I think this is important for us to remember. Paul always does it right when he has a correspondence with people whom he loves. Meaning, he doesn't mind sending a rebuke. Amen? Because correction is good for us. Amen? But too much rebuke, too much truth, without love, without relationship, without covering or care, well, then it just feels like attack. And Paul means to set things right with them in this chapter. But before he does any of that, he makes sure that they know who they are with him together. He says, I love you. I long for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. Now listen. Stand firm beloved. He is making a clear and honest call against lethargy, laziness, and backsliding. And I think it's very important that we follow the same mandate for us as believers today, especially in this, the 21st century, the post-Christian century, where if you're really being honest, you got a lot more fun options to do every day of the week other than church. Amen? And so he writes to the church and says, even if you made it here today, please don't get it twisted. Please don't get tempted. Please don't fall by the wayside and think that you can do it halfway sometimes. Paul is trying to push us to say, if you're really going to do this Jesus thing, be all in, week in and week out, faithful in your service, generous in your giving. Do not step back on shaky ground, but stand firm. And this is a hard conversation for most of us to have in church. We don't like to hear those sorts of things. We don't like to be confronted in our own laziness or our half measures. But somebody's got to do it. Daniel, would you hand me the crown for accountability? There are people in this church 
who call us out, tell us the truth, ask us to stand firm. Who might that be? Gary. Come here, Gary. Gary also does everything at this church. Is that true? Okay. And, um, and just two weeks after surgery, you're here today. Thank you. Gary, today we give you this crown to say thank you for telling us to stand firm and to hold us accountable. Amen. Now, I want for a moment to consider that Paul is going to make a transition. Paul has begun this conversation, and like I said, you might miss the marrow of this conversation by reading just through the first verse of chapter 4 and thinking it's just a greeting, and it is a greeting, but if you know anything about the word of the Lord, it's living and it's active and it's packed full, and if you skim it, baby, you're going to miss some good stuff. And he sets the stage with five ways in which he sees the church. Five ways in which we could identify ourselves within the church. There are those who love us, who care for us, who lift us up, who encourage us, who call us out. And then it gets a little harder. Would that I could tell you that our church, all churches, the capital C church, is just full of joy. But sometimes it's not. Amen? Sometimes the crown of Jesus that rightfully has its place at the centerpiece of our lives is sometimes cast aside that it might be set over here for, well, just a moment. As Arthur said, you remember he was telling us about the offering and how he took a week off from giving, one week. Just let me take a break. Have you ever done that before? Jesus, just give me a little time to myself. Let me take a Sunday off. Let me just put you right here for a second. This is not an uncommon thing for us to do as believers, is, is to know that he deserves to wear the crown in our life, but just for a week or so, a couple days, I'm just going to go ahead and handle some things on my own. Paul writes about that in verse 2. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. And what he's doing in this moment is not just talking about the brotherhood of believers, but he's very clearly right now, very directly in his church and in ours, talking about the value and the importance of the proper authority and our agreement. And what happens is we take Je when we take Jesus out of his rightful place, when we remove him from his position of authority, even if just for a moment, we oftentimes lose our ability to continue to walk in agreement. Remember, I told you that you can belong here, but it's based on whether you believe what we believe here. And when you dethrone or decrown Jesus, well, then you no longer really hold true to what we're doing. And I'm not trying to tell you that you're no longer a Christian or no longer welcome. I'm trying to tell you that each one of us walks this road where one day he's on the throne and the next day I'm on the throne and then vice versa and back and forth. You've done this, yes? What happens when we live like that is we very easily fall into moments of disunity and disagreement. Why? Because his will is not the will. Sometimes 
my will is the will. How many of you, not today, have come to church in a bad mood? <laughs> Amen. Ha, right? I've never done that, not me. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I've come to church almost every Sunday the enemy wants me in a bad mood. I see like trash on the floor. I'm like, well, that's it. Church is over. No one cares about anything. And the reason for that is because sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm in my own head. Thinking about my own will. Telling Jesus, I'll lead church today. We'll come back to you afterwards. I'll handle my marriage today. We'll come back to you af- afterwards. I'm going to have this conversation with my kids today. We'll come back to you afterwards. I'm going to manage my finances. <laughs> if I mess it up, I will definitely come back to you. <laughs> we follow our own will. And our own will often leads us on paths that run into each other. And so Paul writes about this in only a way that Paul could. In verse 2, he personally and by name calls out two women in the church who are in disagreement. See, you didn't know because their names are so weird. <laughs> Let's call them uh, Eunice and Cynthia. He says, now, having said all that, Eunice, Cynthia, in front of the whole church, y'all got an issue. And it needs to end now. So, hold on to your britches. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that? You, stand up. You, hug, shake. No, of course not, right? But this is what Paul is doing in this moment. Because the Apostle Paul has set this church and the cornerstone upon which it's built, because he is the pastor of pastors, because in this season people understood authority and would follow it when it was in line with the Lord, Paul has no problem speaking truth into a room where mistruth has taken root. But for a moment, I wonder what it was like to be Yudia or Sintichi. Because you've been in church and had a conflict with somebody. Amen? You ever be like, I just hope I don't see them today. And then you see them. Ugh. Am I right? Sometimes the conflict is in your own home. And you're like, I just hope when we get to church, I don't see them for the rest of the day. We put these kids in kids' church. You know how sometimes you just... I don't want to go. You have to go. (laughs) What must it have been like for these two women who are in conflict to be called out directly by their pastor amongst their peers and be called to the table and said, it is time that you come to agreement. Original translation is this, be of one mind. Think the same. And the reason he uses this language is because right now you're not thinking the same. And if we really belong here based on what we believe here, then you have to be believing the same thing. And when there is disunity in the church, and makes no mistake, there is always disunity in the church. It is the enemy's favorite attack. When there's disunity, we have to fix it. But guess what? We never fix it. How many of you still have a grudge over someone that you haven't talked to in years. 
You're just still mad. Still mad. And they don't even know why you're mad. (laughs) You ever get a text from somebody that reaches out and they love you and they want to talk to you and you're mad at them and they don't know you're mad? And you got to ignore them and try to figure out how to let them know you're mad without saying that you're mad. You leave them on read or whatever it is. You reply with K. Paul writes to this church and he says, look, I got to tell you just how wonderful and how beautiful and how much I care for you and how important you are to me and to God. But before we go one step further and I close this letter, there is disunity among you and it ends right now and here's why. Our community of believers is marked by what we believe and whom dwells within us. You see, if you are blood-bought and saved by the grace of God, well, then the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. But you have to remember that the Holy Spirit is a dove marked by peace. And the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell where there's chaos. And a lot of us will walk through this life in disunity, in disagreement, with chaos and conflict as a part of our life and wonder why we don't get the fullness of God. It's because you haven't made a room for him to dwell in. And Paul writes to this church, to these women, to say, right now, your conflict is stifling the community. And I need you to understand very clearly that no matter how small the microaggression may be, how tiny your disagreement might actually be, your small disunity and and slight and offense and snide remarks and eye rolls that you share with any other believer is like a chasm that the enemy uses between you, them, and God. You better see this today. Because right now the Lord aims to dwell in you that we might dwell richly together so that we might grow together and say things like, you're my crown. But all we really say is you're kind of the cause of my conflict. And the Holy Spirit is like, I'll tell you what, (laughs) when you guys are done, I will definitely come back to the party. But I got another church to go hang out with. And Paul... And I might push you and say, if you have conflict, you got to kill it now. Because there is something amazing in the Holy Spirit awaiting you. And the only thing holding it back is your crossed arms and your grudge. Amen? We do this because we see each other the way that the Lord sees us. Would that each one of you could see yourself the way that Jesus sees you. Would that you could see your neighbor the way that the Father sees you. We see each other often as the temporal, flawed human beings that we are. And most of us are really good at seeing the temporal flaws of other people. Amen? Pastor, I got to tell you, there's people on my team and they're just no good. (laughs) And I'm like, I know, you fit right in. Um, We rarely give people the grace that Jesus has extended. But when you can see it like he sees it, which is like every one of us is supremely flawed, but he's perfect and his blood washes us and that makes you perfect. If you see it like that, you'll be willing to confront the conflict in your life and invite the Holy Spirit to lead us and to lead you.
Last part. Verse 3. After calling these women out by name, Paul turns to the congregation and he says, I ask you, all of you, he uses the term true companion. We believe that the translation is not just for one person, but he's again pulling people into him and saying, you are my true companions. He says, I ask each one of you to help and to cover. And I would, for just a moment, wonder if I can push you even harder. Daniel, will you bring me four crowns? These last four crowns are really kind of the hard crowns. You see, in verse 2, when the apostle calls people out, he's demonstrating a model for us that there are some people who have authority to speak the truth even if you don't like it. Amen? And, and that's usually reserved for the speaker on the pulpit, but if you belong to a church where only the speaker on the pulpit has authority, then you might be at a concert. Amen? Because he might say, lift your hands up. Everybody say, hey. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> but you kind of need somebody in your life that's like, you're acting in sin. And you're like, I know. You're stuck. You're messing up. Why are we living like this? There's got to be more. You see, if Gary's going to hold you accountable, someone's got to tell you the hard truth that Gary can hold you to. But part and parcel to that is the person who has authority must also be able to work well with the person with vulnerability. You see, neither of these two things work outside of community. I mean, I've met a lot of people who have titles and crowns and authority, but no congregation. And I've met a lot of people who are vulnerable, but don't know where they're going. And these two crowns, they match each other. One with authority and one with vulnerability. And I wonder today if there's someone in our congregation who might fit this one. Melody. Mel, where are you? There you go. Come on, come on. I'm going to have you wait for just a second because this other crown goes alongside you. The person who's vulnerable. Italia, come on down. In a community, these two crowns match together. Now, here's what we're not saying. I'm not asking you to yell at Italia all the time. But we are saying we recognize that the Lord uses us, uses you to speak his words of truth into our life. And we are recognizing that the Lord uses you to show us what it looks like to be vulnerable in community. Would you put your crowns on today? And then I do want you to stay. Because then Paul turns the conversation to us in verse 3, and he says, And you, true companions, be mindful that Melody can't do it on her own. And if the only voice speaking into Italia is her, well, then she can't do it on her own. And he says, So, hand me those last two. I beseech you, all of you, to help. Verse 3. He says, help these women who've walked side by side with me, who've been fellow workers with me. And this crown is reserved finally for those 
who don't mind getting their hands dirty in the affairs of each other's lives. These are the people who might follow the beacon model, which is to fix the broken. Who might we have in this church? Shay. Shay? And another. Rose. Rose. Shay and Rose. In this church, if we are to be who we're called to be, if we are to be like a church that Paul would call his crown and his joy, well, then we would recognize that Jesus gets his great glory through those of you who help us on the journey. Would you put your crowns on? Oh, come on, y'all look so good. Now I'm going to ask the rest of you who have received a crown to come on down. I want to show you this picture. See, you might just think that you want to go to chapter 4 and just read about what we're going to talk about next week, the peace of God and the things that are honorable and noble and pure and gentle, but we don't get there unless we figure out who we are to get there. Amen? Come on down, Gary. You be in the center. There's Deontay. Come right here, Deontay. Come on, come on. Okay. So here's what we see. A church marked by people, led by people, people whose unique gifting and anointing allows the glory of the Lord to be made manifest amongst you. You see, you don't get Jesus all by yourself. Amen. Amen. You don't get to be faith-filled and be like, yeah, I don't go to church. I mostly just watch YouTube videos. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You know how it works? Here. With people who would love you, who would lift you up, who would encourage you, call you out, hold you accountable, who'd model vulnerability for you. Because here's what I want you to see is that when they wear their crown, each one represents a jewel in the crown of the king who wears his crown and through them is daily crowned in our community. You see, Jesus wants to show you what it's like to be vulnerable. So he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any way out, please let me have it. And then he lives through Italia that you might see it. He wants to hold you accountable and say, you are a slave to your sin and unless you follow me, there is no way home. And he writes those words that you might read it and then he sends you Melody. He sends you Gary to hold you accountable. You see, in the community, the crown is Jesus. But the jewels are us. I invite you to church every week so that you would shine brightly. Nothing more, nothing less. We don't care about attendance. We, bear, we care about you being attentive to what the Lord has done and wants to do through you. Amen? I hope we get a picture of this. Um, these, these are real gold. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm going to need them all back. 
would that you would long for a crown of your very own so that one day you might cast it before the king. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you today for community. We thank you for Jesus who chooses to demonstrate his glory, his greatness, and his goodness to those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life through those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God, today we ask that you would show yourself faithful through us. That you would use us. Use us in spite of ourselves to bless others so that they might know you like we know you. And God, in this journey, we ask that our service would not just be labor, but it would also be calling. So, Father, as we set our hand to the plow to love and to lead as you've loved and lead us, I ask that you would give us a filling along the way, that as we do your work, we too would eat from the fruit of your vine each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship once more. You may be seated.